Hi everybody, this is Simone, I'm the policy director for Blue Ribbon. This is episode four of the Defend Your Ground podcast. We've got Ben, our executive director, on here with us tonight. And we've got several topics we want to talk about tonight. Um, We've got some Grand Canyon um, reservation system and permits being proposed that we're going to dig into. We're going to talk about camping and taking your dogs camping. And then there's also a new wilderness bill that we need everybody's help on. And we're going to discuss that a little bit more in depth later and tell you what's going on there with um, some proposed wilderness in, in Oregon. So we'll start out talking about Grand Canyon and the Tuweep area. So I think we saw this proposal back in May of this year, so May of 2022. Um, and it's a proposed reservation and fee use for the Tuweep and Toroweep area. So this is a popular area for people to go and picnic for the day and um, side-by-sides, OHVs. So very popular area in Grand Canyon. And I think my biggest concern with it is, so the National Park Service, they recognized that there can be 30 vehicles at one time, that that's the carrying capacity. But the proposal is to only allow 20 vehicles per day. So theoretically, you could have 20 vehicles there that are there all by themselves because sometimes they just go for a, a quick stop and they're not there all day. And so the reduction of use that's going to happen there is is a huge concern. Yeah. So the two-week area, I first learned about it from some of the jeeping groups in St. George, uh, Utah Public Lands Alliance, um, UPLA. They were the they have gone on rides here. I mean, they limit the group sizes at two-week already to four vehicles in a group, and but there are still people who go out in kind of casual groups and go see the site. But what it is, is it's an overlook over the Grand Canyon, um, but it's a remote overlook. You can only really get there on a pretty rugged dirt road. I, I, I know that lesser SUVs have made it out there, but ideally you want to go out there with a good four-wheel drive vehicle and some clearance. So it's not being swamped with people because accessibility is difficult. No, it's not anything like if you were to go to the main overlooks at the North Rim or the South Rim. And it is on the North Rim of the canyon. You have to access it from either St. George, Utah, or uh, kind of out by Fredonia, Arizona, or Arizona, or Kanab. And there's kind of two routes that converge down onto this site. And to speak to what you were saying about the carrying capacity, they also do allow 10 camp backcountry campsites um, and so if you add the 10 campsite permits to the 20 vehicle day use permits, that's how they get to 30 vehicles. But to clarify, it was what their plan says. They said they're, the, and that's what's a little confusing about this is because usually when we go through a proposal like this, we expect it to be a public comment process that in, that includes the different steps of what we call NEPA. And that uh, can which, take years. Yeah, it can take years, but but more importantly, it also gives you, as the user group, a legal right to challenge and appeal their decision if they're changing their plan. 
Um, so if you're going to update your plan, if you're going to amend your plan, if you're going to change it from what it was, then you have to go through this more extensive administrative procedure. Here, what they said they were doing was just implementing their existing plan. And so they still did a round of public comment. And we know we had hundreds of off-road users submit comments to this area because that's who is really only the people that go out there are off-road users. You can't get there any other way. And so this is an area targeted right to the membership of BRC. And they released this saying it was an implementation of the plan, but the plan is very clear. It says it will allow 30 vehicles at a time. And just to kind of manipulate public opinion, they included a picture of this area with uh, several Jeeps parked there. And they said, this is so crowded. And if you count the Jeeps in the picture, there's only 16 of them. And so even in the picture that they claim is an overcrowding, excessive use of the area, they're still not even getting to the carrying capacity there. And so that's our biggest concern with this is that they moved the goalposts. Their plan said they could do 30 vehicles at a time. And nobody I've talked to that goes to this area on a regular basis goes there and stays the entire day, except for there are some hikes down there that go down to, I think, Lava Falls. So if you're going to go there and do the hike, which is a very strenuous, it's rated hard on the hiking apps. I'm sure it's an awesome hike. Um, the hikers might be there most of the day, but the off-road users that are just going out to have a picnic and look at the overlook and take some pictures, they're probably going to stay for an hour or two, then leave. And so to have implemented a system that puts in this arbitrarily low number based on what their plan allowed for um, is raising a lot of red flags for me, at least. Well, and so the fee system, too, not only do you have to have a park pass, but then there's also an extra $2 fee on top of that. And so it just makes me wonder... Yeah. How many more and fees they're going to eventually implement for every little thing across public lands across the country. Yeah. And the, so there's definitely that aspect of this that you do have to have a national park pass. And I think most people expect that. Uh, but to add in the $2 fee, that's what they're saying is to help them cover the cost of the reservation system, which I think at this point is still unnecessary. Even the data they're sharing doesn't show that they're that they're hitting the carrying capacity of 30 vehicles at a time if you average that out over the course of a 13-hour day. Um, but the fees, they add up. I mean, $2 isn't going to break the bank for anybody, but it's an inconvenience. And add it to that. Where does put, it end? <laughs> where? Yeah, it doesn't. And they say that, well, if we find out that there's more use or that we can add more spots to the system or allocate the the reservations based on timing uh, maybe they'll make those changes after the they, they've started a three-year pilot program it already went into effect on i think it was july 6 so this is already happening now i mean we tried to oppose this the off-road community worked hard so if with you want to visit the area you have to have a reservation so currently now you have to have that and um, they've publicized it in a few newspapers, but the way most people will learn about this is they will drive out there. It's, it's a two to three hour drive on a dirt road. And you'll find when you get out there that there's this new system. And 
What's interesting is they say they have had signs that kind of tell the rules that they there's only this many vehicles allowed per day. Um, this is prior to the new reservation system and that you can't stay there after dark and things like that. And I know some of the, the folks commented because they responded to the comments in a document. They didn't respond to our comment, which was, we don't think their carrying capacity is correct. That They're basing their decision off an incorrect reading of their plan. And so we're going to write a letter to them basically requesting that they answer our questions. Why are they not following their actual carrying capacity? Why are they making up a new one? Because uh, they went to they went to the effort to respond to a lot of questions that were raised um, during the public comment period. But that specific question that we raised, they did not respond to. They did not at all. And so we'll have to get a response. Uh, but they did say that the signs they had aren't working to limit the crowd sizes. And so the sign, they already have signs out there to tell the rules and stuff, but people aren't following them. But the way they're going to teach people about this new reservation system is to put up more signs. Signs. And so <laughs> people aren't listening to. Um, anyway, so that's the National Park Service for you. Thanks for listening to the Defend Your Ground podcast. If you haven't yet subscribed, we invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. And also leave us a review if you enjoy what you're hearing. Okay, Ben, you were telling me earlier today about a book you've been reading. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, so I've been reading this book. It's called uh, uh, Nowhere for Very Long. I don't know if that's going to show up the right way on the video, but uh, this was written by Brianna Medea. She is a van lifer. She uh, went and decided to go live out of a big orange old van with several of her dogs. And... She's actually from Connecticut. It's like, it's an interesting story. It's a pretty traditional van life tale where somebody's decided to leave what was probably a pretty congested urban area and move to the San Rafael Swell, basically, um, and the areas around Moab. And as I was reading the book, one of the things that stood out to me was she really... It was her relationship to her dogs that really helped her connect to these wild backcountry camping experience that she'd go out there and it was almost as if her dogs needed to get out of the suburban life as much as she did and she'd get them out into the middle of the desert just go run around and chase rabbits and swim in streams hike slot canyons and and as I was reading this and seeing how much value she got out of visiting public land and do, and having this dispersed camping experience with her dogs it reminded me of this plan we just analyzed that in the moab area i guarantee it's places she has camped in her van with her dog uh they proposed that they're going to restrict the dispersed camping in three massive areas around moab and they're going to require everybody to be camping in a, a limited number of dispersed campsites that are designated and if you are out there with your dog, uh, they have to be on a leash the whole time. Yeah, it says dogs and, are required to be on a leash and be under control. Yep. And and when I read that, it just kind of, I knew that this was a phenomenon that was out there. I've followed a lot of these van life accounts and the dogs well, because are... Because how many van lifers have dogs? 
I would say it's almost a all of them. It's part of the cultural, like, yeah, it's for yeah, for all kinds of reasons, and uh, not the least of which is the safety concerns. I mean, you have this woman who's living out in the middle of the desert alone. It's probably very reassuring to be out there with dogs and having them restrained probably eliminates some of that safety factor. Uh, we have one of these areas just two years ago, you had a boy in the middle of the night get attacked by a bear. These are remote backcountry areas. There's still big predators out there. And tying up your dog is going to make your dog vulnerable. Uh, it's also going to make you vulnerable because your dog in a lot of instances is going to keep those predators away. And so we, we might have, we'll have to see what the other comments said on this plan, but we might have been the only group that was commenting on that plan that really pushed back on this proposal that they were going to restrict the dogs in the backcountry to leashes. I, I mean, I have a dog myself. I know you do too, Simone. And that's what he lives for is when I can take him out to an area where I, where he can just run. I go out of my way to take him hiking on trails that aren't in wilderness areas that aren't in national parks so that he can just go be a dog. And camping is as much of a vacation for the dogs as it is for myself and, and others. I mean, that's the dogs love it. And I, I can only imagine, um, in the case of this, um, this author, that that's part of the reason why she left Connecticut and chose the van life is to have that freedom for herself and for her dogs. And if you can't have that, then what's the point? Yeah, I agree. I'll let you borrow the book when I'm done and you'll find that what you just assumed is true. And I'm going to tag Brianna in this. I know she's got a big Instagram account. Uh, she needs to let her followers know what's going on. I'm sure she has a lot of them who sympathize with the experience that she's having and have gone out and followed in her footsteps. And they all need to know that these proposals are happening. It's not like the BLMs out there broadcasting these plans from the rooftops. You have to be like us doing this as a job, watching for them to come and then actually reading into these kind of boring bureaucratic documents. To find this these stuff. people could be ticketed, I mean, that's yeah. what they need to realize. They could get a ticket for having their dog run loose in the backcountry out in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. And so, if, Brianna, if you end up watching this, we hope you'll join us and fight for what we call an open, free, dispersed camping experience on our public land. We think that's one of the really valuable experiences that you can have out on public land. A lot of people have been drawn to it. Uh, there have certainly been some impacts as a result of that, but none of which can't be managed through other management approaches that don't require, I, I think the designated sites restriction is too much. I think requiring your dogs to be on a leash in the middle of a 300,000 acre piece of backcountry is too much. And they've certainly got bigger problems to solve than this. And so, the, but it does remind me, I was reading today the study that the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance has been promoting, which was about how to, how to limit the impacts of recreation use. And most people probably assume they're talking about off-road vehicles, but in this study, they're not. If you flip through the study, it's a picture of a mom hiking with her kid. It's a picture of a person camping in a tent. It's a picture of a person mountain biking. Uh, and you read through the study and... They have all these, the, the word they use is confinement strategies. 
How can we confine people to only a limited number of experiences and locations on public land so that people are now actually enjoying the entirety of our public land system? And there, it's a serious agenda. It's well-funded. They have a lot of resources. They're certainly engaging in these plans and the ones advocating for these. And and if if Brianna Medea would show up with her 300,000 Instagram followers, she would probably be the most relevant voice in the discussion. Um, my concern is that she doesn't know this is happening. Well, just and, today I was on a, on a meeting for a public land for a national monument, and one of the comments was, have we looked at limiting people that can access these lands and make it make it hard for people to go and enjoy these public lands. And that's what, I mean, putting a dog on a leash, we're making it very difficult for people to go and enjoy these public lands. And if you're on a leash anyways, and it's so restrictive anyways, what's the point of being out in the middle of nowhere by yourself? I mean, that's the whole point of it. Yeah, and you run into this. I mean, I live um, near Kolob Canyon, and it, which is part of Zion National Park. And if you're living out of a van with your dog and you decide you want to go hike in Co-op Canyon, the dogs aren't allowed. So what are you going to do? Leave your dog in the van when it's 105 degrees outside? No. So you just won't get to go experience Co-op Canyon or you'll have to have, find someone who can dog sit your dog for a period of time so that you can go into and enjoy your public land. And, and that, I mean, there's certainly areas where I would say in like a, big campground where there's a lot of people our national parks there's a lot of people i think most dog owners would recognize that yeah we need to be either having them on a leash or there are places where having dogs detracts from the experience but in the remote backcountry where you're going out to get away from everybody and everybody else's dogs and get into a place another human (laughs) for days that's where they're just being excessive and using a sledgehammer to solve a problem that could probably be solved with a scalpel. And so anyway, we hope if you're somebody who likes camping in the backcountry with your dogs and your pets are part of your outdoor recreation experience on public land, that you'll consider supporting the Blue Ribbon Coalition. You'll become a member. We're one of the only organizations out there fighting for increased access. And when we say increased access, that's what we mean is that there's a broader range of experiences and that you can experience those things in more places and that we're opposing the what we think are arbitrary restrictions that are unnecessary and while still advocating for responsible use and reasonable management strategies, um, all of that we can do, be accomplished. We do have the Dispersed Access Alliance that we've created. Um, you can join that and we can keep you updated on more plans that are coming out. I mean, we're continuously seeing dispersed camping plans that we need people to engage in and understand what's going on because like Ben mentioned before, unless you're doing this as a job, there's and reading these boring documents, you don't know what's what's happening in these plans and these proposals. So, uh, you can join that, become a member of BRC to stay updated and and engage on these proposals. Yep. And so that'd be, we actually have the domain name for dispersedcampingaccessalliance.org. Four words. It's hard to remember, but we'll put, we can put a link in the post. Uh, we do want you to join. We'll send you email updates whenever there's plans like this where we need you to public comment. This plan in Moab, uh, 
the public comment period has closed, um, we'll continue to fight for that as they release revised versions of that plan. There will probably be one more round where the public can engage the BLM. And and that's why we're bringing attention to this is because we have a period of time to build a movement that understands what's happening and wants to wants to petition for something better. And so sign up so we can keep you in the loop. Um, the Dispersed Camping Access Alliance is free. It, we just want people on an email list so we can notify you when things are going on. Uh, so Simone, we can finish up today's episode. I know today we published a, an action alert. There's a new wilderness bill in Oregon. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on up in Oregon? Yeah, so this is the the actual name of the bill is the Wild Rogue Conservation and Recreation Enhancement Act. And it's proposed by a congressman up in Oregon. And this does actually affect um, some of Northern California as well. And there's a lot of um, facets to this bill. And one of them is it would create a wilderness, it would create wilderness. There's already wilderness within this, but it would create more wilderness. And one of my biggest issues with it is there has already been approvals for vegetation treatments for timber um, to help keep the forests healthy in this area. And that would remove these areas from having this vegetation treatment done, which would leave it, these forests totally susceptible to wildfire. And we're already seeing enough of that in Oregon and California and those in the Western United States. And so um, this bill, we've, we've put an analysis out there and, and drafted a letter and we need people to contact their representatives about this bill. And we'll tell you a little bit more about it. Um, Ben, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so we're almost categorically opposed to wilderness bills. At this point, there's so much wilderness already in the system. Uh, recreation use and the, is exploding, and so we need there to be areas that are open. And wilderness almost always restricts the number of people who can access an area. Uh, wilderness is discriminatory against people with disabilities. They, it really restricts any form of mechanized travel into a backcountry area. And so, so the that, name of this is misleading where it says it's the recreation enhancement because I don't think wilderness enhances recreation whatsoever. No, certainly not an enhancement if you are in a wheelchair to take 60,000 acres of your public lands and make it impossible for you to visit that area. And it's it's not an enhancement to restrict it to just a few types of users who prefer traveling into a backcountry by foot with a backpack, or in this case, I think there's river access. And the river's already wild and scenic, and essentially it's going to create a big buffer zone around the river that would also be wilderness. Yeah, which is just nonsensical. It's really hard to access this river. Yeah, and that's usually what we see is that the folks who enjoy recreating on rivers feel like they're a privileged user group, that they should have a whole area to themselves. And they're, they usually do advocate for buffer zone. We're seeing this happening in other rivers across the country. We know that in the Dingle Act, there were rivers in Utah where they explicitly said you can't create buffer zones around this, but they're still trying to. And 
I don't have anything against people who want to recreate on the rivers. It's a it's a great activity. It's a lot of fun and something that at BRC we would support people recreating on the river. What I don't support is one user group going out and saying this is ours and we get this all to ourselves. And if anybody else comes here, it ruins our experience. And that is something that we're going to call user conflict. And so nobody else can come here because it would create conflict. My my solution to user conflict is the person claiming that it exists should be the ones not allowed on public land, and then everyone else can go and enjoy it. And then there would be no user conflict. And there would be no user conflict, because <laughs> most of us are happy to let other people do their thing out on public land that belongs to all of us. And so we have an action alert. If you go to sharetrails.org, go to our updates, uh, you'll see this, the rogue the wild rogue river wilderness bill um it makes it easy you can with a click of a button send a, a message to your member of congress telling them to oppose this and we hope everybody will do that especially our listeners in oregon uh this is also part of what i would consider to be a an effective way to push back on the 30 by 30 plan uh simone why don't you tell those who don't know what the 30 by 30 plan is and so that we're all on the same page. So it's a movement. There's no legislation. It's just a movement to designate 30% of the nation's land and waters, um, essentially lock it up for future, no more use on those lands and waters um, by the year 2030. And so most of these states that these proposals were seeing uh, happen in, in Western United States, they already have more than 30% of their lands and waters protected, if you will. And so it's just this movement to create more wilderness area, to remove more users from public lands and public waters and make it more difficult for people to access. Yep. And so we started what we call it the fight for every inch campaign. We don't think we need a 30 by 30 movement. It doesn't. Uh, I mean, last week, the Supreme Court ruled on this West Virginia versus EPA decision that if an agency doesn't have clear direction from Congress to do something, then it then the Supreme Court's going to strike it down if they make that a part of their official policy. And I'll tell you, there is no congressional statutory requirement for 30 by 30. And so if I was an agency decision maker and I'm reading the EPA versus West Virginia decision that came out a week ago, I'd probably be backing off of the 30 by 30 nonsense because there is no mandate from Congress to do this. However, if a wilderness bill like this does pass, that is the one way that the agencies do get that mandate from Congress to enact the restrictions that might not be called 30 by 30. It will just be called a wilderness bill. Uh, but it is through these wilderness bills that they will congressionally enact the 30 by 30 agenda and make it permanent. And so if you're opposed to the locking up of public land, if you then you need to send this message to your member of Congress. If you support multiple use of public land and that it should be out there for everybody to enjoy, then you need to contact your member of Congress and tell them to oppose this bill and... Uh, go look through our website. We've found several others of these. We've put action alerts together on all of them. Anytime we find a wilderness bill, we put an action alert up, out about it so that the public knows these are out there. Because uh, the concern is, is that they'll get snuck into some omnibus public lands bill during a lame duck session of Congress, which, and then they 
pass him and this all or nothing bill at the end of the year a bunch of people who aren't coming back are the ones who usually get it over the finish line and that's usually the tactic by how we get these restrictive designations on our public lands and so go ahead and submit the action alert and we'll keep working and finding ways to keep our public lands open and we'll look forward to definitely be more wilderness bills come up and we'll need your help with all of them Um, we've been successful in the past with um, opposing wilderness bills and getting them killed in committee Um, because of you because of listeners because of our members and people sending it in so it really does make a difference sometimes people think that oh what's what's this letter to my representative or to my senator gonna do but it really does make a difference so for all of these wilderness bills we need you to keep engaging and send these letters in because uh, it does help the other side's not going to quit either sue has been running their wilderness bill for like 40 years now or 50 i don't know um they just keep trying and trying until one day they get them and so yeah so next week uh we'll be here again with episode five uh we have a big episode like if you haven't subscribed yet to our podcast, you should. Um, so it starts getting noticed on the platforms. Uh, we're going to keep it going. Next week, we have a big update on the Black Canyon Corridor in Arizona. This is a BLM travel management plan that we... Will we, affect a lot of trails. Yeah, it'll affect <laughs> a lot of trails. We worked with a lot of groups to appeal an original release of this plan. And the BLM withdrew the plan. And now they're, they've made some changes. They've fixed some of the problems. Um, but we need everybody to understand what's still in this. We have another 30-day public comment period to give more feedback to the BLM, and so we'll have a big update on that in our next episode. So if you haven't subscribed, subscribe now so you don't miss it, because that's going to be a big one and it'll be important. Subscribe, and thanks for listening, and tune in next week. All right, see ya.